You're listening to Fueling the Future of Transport, hosted by Tammy Klein, the founder and CEO of Transport Energy Strategies. We'll talk all about the fuels and energy it takes to keep the world moving forward. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the program. I am so excited. I always say that with every show, but I'm really, really excited uh, to have with me uh, today, uh, Margot Oge. Uh, I think many of you listening will know who Margot is, but for those of you who don't, let me just tell you just a little bit about her. She currently serves as a distinguished fellow with the Climate Works Foundation. She was previously, and I know this is how many of you will know her, she was previously with the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency for 32 years from 1980 to September 2012, which is how I first met her. She is widely recognized as having been a key architect of the agency's efforts to reduce air pollution and greenhouse gas emissions. You name it, um, she has been involved in it. Everything from fuel economy setting, um, shepherding uh, the renewable fuel standard program, uh, sulfur reduction, mobile ser- source air toxics. There's probably no one. I, I would place her as um, among a very rare class in the world that has such tremendous depth of knowledge um, on fuels and fuels uh, regulation. She currently serves as a member of the Volkswagen Group's uh, Global Sustainability Council. She's chairman of the board of the International Council on Clean Transportation, the ICCT, as many of you know, member of the board of the Union of Concerned Scientists, and a member of the advisory committee of the U.S. Global uh, Change Research Program. So that's quite a list. Margo, welcome to the program. It's so great to have you with us. Wonderful being with you. Yes. Yes. So let's get into it. There's so much to talk about here. So You have done a lot of work over the last few years in particular, especially on electrification. So the first question I'm just dying to ask you is, how do you see the electric vehicle market evolving in the next 10 years, not just for the light duty fleet, but for the medium and heavy duty sectors as well? Now we also have an Inflation Reduction Act that was just enacted. And I'm wondering what impact you see that having on the market as well. So, Tammy, we, we could take an hour to just talk about this. <laughs> but I, so I'm an optimist by nature um, and I wake up every morning, uh, although I have you know, unsuccessfully uh, retired and thinking, what can I do? A little bit I can do to contribute towards saving the planet from climate change impacts. So if you ask me a couple of weeks ago, I would not be as optimistic about the future of electrification for both, as you said, cars. Uh, and medium and heavy duty trucks and the other sectors of the economy, of the transportation industry. Uh, But what happened last week with the signing of the uh, Inflation Reduction Act gives me much more hope and optimism that first, U.S. will be able to catch up to China and Europe when it comes to electrification. Uh, As you know, um, China is number one when it comes to sales of electric vehicles, but also investments. Uh, Europe is number two, and US is kind of dragging along number three. I think that will change. So I'm very optimistic, and we can talk a little bit more about that. But I see um, three uh, big drivers when it comes into electrifying or zero emission vehicles and trucks. The first is what I call the global competition 
among the major economies, uh, China, Europe, and now US, that signals to the market to invest towards electrification. So as you know, China continues to lead with policies and investments um, when it comes to electrification. Uh, Europe uh, has been doing that uh, at least for the last five years, but with the introduction and approval of Fit for 55, that also includes you know, banning the sales of new ICE vehicles by 2035. It's a pretty big deal. And then, you know, for, for U.S., before the, I would call the, uh, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, I would call it IRA, to mm-hmm. shorten it. Yeah. Before IRA, you know, President Biden came into office two years ago, um, really committed to address climate change. And he incorporated climate change policies for every element of his administration and, and agency and department. Uh, There were executive orders for EPA uh, to address light-duty vehicles, um, executive order a couple of years ago that EPA should move forward um, uh, with um, setting standards that will require 50% of new car sales to be electric. He did something similar for trucks, although he didn't put a date for (laughs) for trucks, for zero-emission trucks. And, and, And then we had the infrastructure bill. Uh, that was a pretty big deal with over five billion dollars for for electric, you know, for EV um, charging. Uh, but the introduction of the IRA, which is approximately you know um, four hundred billion dollars for climate and clean energy investments, I think is pretty historic in my mind. It mm-hmm. gives me a lot of hope and optimism that the U.S. is going to lead. Uh, so let me talk to you a little bit about, there's so much I mean, there, to, to talk about. Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> but I look at it this way. So as, as you remember, at the President Obama, there was an attempt for a cap and trade climate uh, law. Yes. And it was not successful. Um, then President Trump came um, in office and the country took many steps backwards when it comes to climate change. I will put it mildly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and then President Biden came and we were all thinking, see, you know, other than executive orders, what, what is this administration going to do as far as, you know, introducing a new climate law? Well, what they have done is very unusual because this IRA doesn't mandate anything to happen. So it doesn't mandate that the Environmental Protection Agency, uh, you know, take steps to address the energy sector or the transportation sector or the the rest of the industry sectors. But what it does, it it incorporates and adds huge investments for decarbonizing the energy sector and the transportation sector. And I look at it in two ways. First, it addresses the supply side of the equation with tax incentives for manufacturers of cars and trucks, um, the energy sector, solar, wind, um, clean energy fuels, uh, loans, and Mm -hmm. actual investments, billions of dollars of investments. So if I was uh, a car company or a truck company or a supplier uh, and and I'm already in, in, the, in the game. Now the game has become even bigger because there is all this in, in money 
that I can apply towards, you know, my plans towards decarbonizing, let's say, the transportation sector. And then you have um, the demand side of the equation, which is the consumer, you know, incentives for the consumer to buy electric cars and incentives for the, you know, for fleets to buy electric trucks. So, and that, those two kind of elements of the IRA also enhances uh, the ability of local governments, state governments, and the federal government to address climate change. Uh, and let me talk a little bit about my favorite agency. <laughs> go up, <laughs> go I, for it. <laughs> I spent 32 years of my life and I still uh, love the people there. And, and I'm so um, honored and proud that I was one of, this, of the public servants at the Environmental Protection Agency. Uh, so this law, something that people have not really, a lot of the press has not covered. To me, what is very unique and interesting is that IRA for the first time since the 1990 amendments of the Clean Air Act, enhances and expands EPA's ability to address climate change. Yeah. Let me give you some examples. So you remember the historic um, uh, day uh, in 2007 where the Supreme Court decided, Mm -hmm. yes, EPA, you should regulate greenhouse gas as pollutants under mm-hmm. the Clean Air Act, mm-hmm. as long as you can determine that these pollutants, greenhouse gases, emissions from cars, uh, undermine public health and the environment. And we took steps, as you remember, mm-hmm. successfully under President Bush, but successfully <laughs> <laughs> under President Biden. Ultimately uh, successful. Successfully. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, but you know, there is, there is uh, always the worry for many of us in, in the business of thinking about environmental policies with this very conservative Supreme Court. So, the fact that IRA is co- codifying uh, the findings of the Supreme Court and amends the Clean Air Act to do that, to me, it's very powerful. That doesn't mean, again, you know, that a conservative Supreme Court will not try to undermine EPA's efforts uh, or the state efforts towards zero-emission vehicles. But I, I, but I think it strengthens um, the, uh, the ability of, of federal and state governments to require zero-emitting vehicles as part of the provisions of the, under the Clean Air Act. Yeah. But also it gives EPA tools um, to address um, uh, communities of disadvantaged communities of, of color uh, mm-hmm. and low-income communities that live in ports. You know, there are billions of dollars for ports. Uh, there are billions of dollars that go to schools. Uh, there are billions of dollars for, for medium and heavy-duty trucks. Uh, that actually, I think, a significant level of those resources, the billion dollars for trucks, will go to disadvantaged communities. So now EPA, uh, along with, uh, you know, a, a, a bank, uh, a green bank for, in, for investments across the board, not just transportation. So now EPA has uh, a lot of new tools in their toolbox under the Clean Air Act that both enhances the existing authority and expands the authority. So that is a pretty big deal in my mind. Um, So my hope is um, that EPA is going to address 
uh, and take into consideration what is under IRA, because as you know, in many, um, there are a number of research think tanks that have evaluated and analyzed IRA, and they have determined that something like around 40% reductions by 2030 frozen levels of greenhouse gases, but it leaves a gap uh, because President Biden has committed the country to about 51% of reductions. So EPA has a big role to play. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think the first test for transportation will come at the end of this year when EPA is going to finalize the NOCs and greenhouse gas standards for medium and heavy duty trucks. And if I may remind your listeners that may not be familiar with this, EPA's proposal last March uh, was very disappointing when it came to greenhouse gas emissions. I can say that, although I love my my former colleagues, because they basically um, proposed that by 2029, 1.5% of new you know, urban, medium, and heavy-duty vehicles should be electric, mm-hmm. which is uh, or zero emissions, fuel cells, uh, which really doesn't even reflect what the states are doing, what California is doing. So my hope is that the first test for EPA will be to significantly uh, increase the ambition of this final um, track regulation to what I hope will be at least across the board of a 40% new um, truck, medium and heavy duty truck sales should be electric. Uh, so, so that's one factor. And I spoke a lot about the first driver, which is the global race by major economies towards zero emission transportation vehicles. Mm-hmm. The second, I think, which is, to me, it's it's very interesting as a former regulator, is that the industry is investing. They they are not really waiting for for China to invest or Europe to invest or US to invest. And the number that I remember is something like $526 billion Mm -hmm. through 2026, which is like double since last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you know, a number of OEMs like Ford and, and, uh, and GM and Volvo, uh, Daimler, they had made commitments for to zeroing out uh, not just their investments, but the sales of the internal combustion uh, engine vehicles. Uh, so to me, uh, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, something very different than I remember when I yeah when you were trying to negotiate just to get you know fuel economy standards and having to make every you know bring the parties together and get them to agree and have an agreement and the president endorses and you're and you're working on all that and I, I know and lawsuits to, abound and yeah, <laughs> and yeah, now yeah. here we are it's amazing isn't it exactly and, and you know if you remember back in in 2011. Mm-hmm. There was like only Nissan, um, the Nissan electric car, and then we had, you know, Elon Musk, alone by the federal government under Obama, you know, uh, starting with the sales of Tesla. And he, I don't want to talk about Elon Musk and his set of <laughs> tweets, but I mean, he has changed. Um, he has become a huge factor in my mind 
Uh, and he's going to go down the history books when it comes to electric cars. Mm-hmm. So, but back then, you know, even 10 years ago, there were very few models uh, yeah. globally. Today, we're talking about over 300 EV models. And, and you look what is happening in the U.S. We have Hyundai. We have, um, uh, you know, uh, beautiful, you know, iconic electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, Volkswagen is Volkswagen. introducing the IDP4, yeah. and IDP4. So all these new players are coming in. And even Toyota that held the last (laughs) 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 on electric vehicles, uh, you know, for because they were committed on hybrids um, and they were committed on fuel cells. Now they're also making significant investments on electrification. So to me, the investments uh, of the Fed of governments and policies, uh, you know, coupled with uh, the great investments that we're seeing across the board uh, by the um, car and truck manufacturers, and I'll talk a little bit about trucks after uh, in, in a little bit, Tammy. Uh, it to me signals, um, you know, that we are down uh, the road towards electrification. There may be ups and downs; it may not be a linear trip, you know, right. uh, but but we're on a long way to get there. And in the third area that I that it that fascinates me is the fact that every year you see a higher consumer acceptance mm-hmm. when it comes to electric cars. I remember when I was in DC and I drove the first Volt, um, you know, the the mm-hmm. hybrid. I think it took it, it it cut me back and forth, you know, like 20 miles and then I would charge it. And I remember now living in McLean, Virginia pretty sophisticated town, you know, people mm-hmm. should, you would have imagined, they would have heard about electric cars. And I cannot tell you how many times I was, as I was getting into my car or getting out of my car, people will ask me, wow, is this an electric car? You know, um, is it, how, how easy it is to drive it? You know, there were all kinds of concerns. Uh, today, you know, regardless of your political, um, um, you know, Believes Democrats or Republicans huge level of public support for electric cars, mm-hmm. uh, and there are many reasons for that. Am I right? Um, um, the costs have come down significantly, over ninety yeah. percent. The range has increased. Now it's not like one hundred twenty miles. The charging's coming. The charging has come, and, and 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 the other element that is happening right now, we're facing such high gasoline and diesel prices, that it also makes people more curious, am I right? Uh, maybe I should mm-hmm. try to drive an, an electric car. So the consumer acceptance uh, is a huge, it's a huge element. And with IRA, the, and I know it's going to be challenging, and we can talk a little bit more about the tax credits um, for individuals given the requirements under IRA for manufacturing in the U.S., the content uh, of batteries has to be from the you know, com- you know, countries uh, friendly uh, when it comes to trade to the to U.S. Um, uh, I wish, as a country, uh, we had done what we're doing under IRA twenty years ago. That would yeah. have been the best. Mm-hmm. But the second best is what we have now. Yeah, uh, and, and I think all that, in my view, uh, eventually will help us accelerate. Um, the consumer acceptance 
and the costs are coming down for electric cars. Yeah. Uh, depending the expert papers that you read, you know, mm-hmm. uh, cost parity of electric car with an internal combustion engine could be anywhere from 2024 or 2026 and so forth. So all these are the factors that give me a lot of optimism uh, that uh, that we will be able to decarbonize the uh, transportation sector with zero emission technologies. Yeah, I do think it's incredible if you think about the structure, um, and I've reviewed myself at this at this point um, on the transport energy side, both the the vehicle related incentives and the and the fuel incentives. It's it's an it's an interesting. Um, change because in past programs, um, they were very, you know, they're very structured, low, low sulfur, reformulated gasoline, RFS structured with targets and fuel economy structured targets, timelines, all of those kinds of things. And it's, it's interesting the way, and I, I think it, I think this might be um, for the best, the way, you know, we're just doing it with, with incentives, but they are tied to on the fuel side, they're tied to carbon intensity reduction. And then, um, you know, and then uh, sort of a similar pathway on, on the vehicle side and that we can just do incentives without having the regulatory state as it, as it were having more complicated, um, programs that then get litigated for, you know, 15 years or whatever. Um, you just, it's a, it's a more simplified approach, but that's still okay. So we don't get the 51%. We're sort of not necessarily in line with the fit for 55 targets, but we're definitely in the ballpark. And it's an interesting shift, um, that I think might end up being really beneficial and, and accelerate further. Absolutely. But let me say this, uh, again, as a former regulator, um, there is still a huge role to be played by policymakers and the regulatory bodies of China, Europe, Mm -hmm. and and U.S. But as you said, I believe their job has become more doable. Yeah. Because they are not just telling, you know, General Motors, by 2030, 50% of your new car sales must be zero emission. What they're saying is, yes, by 2030, EPA hopefully will come forward with a proposal by March of 2023, proposing greenhouse gas standards for you know, personal vehicles, that the standards will be set hopefully in such a way that will require companies to meet the standards, that their sales will be about 50% electric cars. So so EPA is going to say that, but at the same time, and I'm using GM as an example, and Mary Mm -hmm. Barrett has been very supportive of IRA. At the same time, the government is saying, listen, um, you know, I will help you out. Okay. I will put billions of dollars, and I think over $20 billion for manufacturing. I will provide loans, like the loan that was provided to, to Elon Musk. I will put tax incentives, you know, for, you know, manufacturing, you know, for, for trucks, you know, for taxes, you know, uh, you know, you know, $40,000. That's, that's, that's a lot of money, especially for medium uh, duty trucks, you know. Um, I will help you with infrastructure. I will, you know, you don't have to just do it yourself. 
Uh, and I will put incentives for the consumer. So the job of the uh, California Air Resources Board uh, that is, you know, in the, pro the finalized, the advanced um, clean track standard, then the process of, you know, finalizing uh, the clean car standards um, that will zero out the internal combustion as by 2035, uh, Europe, um, um, you know, fit for, for 55. The job of those regulators now is becoming more doable. Mm -hmm. and, and as you said, especially for U.S., given their experience with courts, hopefully it will take away the litigation that is very painful from all sides. Am I right? It's painful mm -hmm. for the government. And expensive. And expensive. <laughs> and it's painful for the industry because, you know, the uncertainty that, that, that yes. imposes. Yes. So, so you're absolutely right. This is um, uh, an excellent model. Uh, that President Biden was able to uh, to work with the Senate and, and the House. And although, you know, um, many, and I'm hearing complaints about, you know, putting more money on fossil fuels, uh, the analysis that I have seen, uh, like I, I saw an analysis from the Energy Innovation that um, for every ton of, um, for every, uh, you know, of increase um, of fossil fuel production because of IRA, you're going to have 23 tons of reductions because of IRA. So, so altogether, all I think it's 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 it's, it's a historic um, a piece of law that will go down the history books of the country. So I want to go back to something that you said that I think is really key and ties into something that I, I wanted to ask you about the you you sort of um highlighted a little bit um, the the Supreme Court decision on on EPA's authority. And it, it is so um, interesting um, it, it, that it isn't hasn't been wise. I've seen one paper sort of cover this issue, the fact that the EPA's authority is now enshrined. So that was something that the court said was, well, you know, this isn't, uh, you know, it's not, it's not clear and it needs to come from Congress. And it's like two months later, no, we've spoken. Um, and so, um, I'm wondering, you know, how you, how you see that, that, um, Supreme court decision now in light of yeah. what's happened with, with the IRA. Well, Tammy, I'm, I'm because of the decision that there is a decision of the Supreme court or the clean power EPA rule, uh, that was pretty unprecedented. Am I right? EPA had not even done anything. Yeah. And the court decided, I'm going to tell you what you need to do before you even do it. I don't believe any legal uh, or, um, you know, student of the Supreme Court has had memory. Mm -hmm. The court acts before any action. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so and, and, you know, and obviously I have been having um, serious concerns about a number of issues that EPA already has done. As, as you know, um, 18 conservative state ages have challenged EPA's greenhouse gas standards mm -hmm. for 2023 to 2026. Yep. Um, the same, I believe, um, number of ages are challenging uh, EPA um, granting the California waiver. They're challenging states' authority. So having uh, the Clean Air Act that confirms first the Supreme Court uh, 2007 Supreme Court decision that basically says, yes, these are pollutants. Yes, EPA has the authority 
to take steps under the Clean Air Act to regulate these pollutants is very important. But also there's another provision that basically strengthens the language under the Clean Air Act that gives California and other states the authority to have their own state programs uh, and to require zero emission mandates, the ZEB mandate. Mm-hmm. So, so, so again, you know, these two pieces of, uh, of enhancing uh, of the Clean Air Act, in my mind, will go a long way. I'm not suggesting, you know, mm-hmm. it will protect uh, the federal government, the state government of moving forward yeah. uh, in, in regulating the transportation sector. But I think it gives me um, more confidence uh, that we will be successful. Yeah. So I want to turn to to California. Um, and, and I think this is a perfect segue um, in, into what's happening there. Um, do you think the state, you know, it has uh, ZEP targets, it has its uh, ZEP program, and it now has, and I personally think this is the real reason why the AGs are challenging, is it's advanced clean car one, advanced clean car two, and, and the advanced clean truck programs. I think to me, and that's the real reason why they, in my view, is why they're 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 um, challenging um, the the authority here because I think they <laughs> I don't think they want to see those programs happen, um, especially since a number of states are now following California. But but my question is, do you see the the the, the state being able to meet its sub targets, and and do you see it being able to meet its targets under ACC two and and ACT? So, uh, well, first of all, as, as you know, I'm a big admirer of, of the state of California. Uh, when I was at EPA, um, what very few people know, except that my colleagues at California, some in the industry, is that we work in full partnership. Mm-hmm. So EPA, my team, and the California team worked as full partnership. You know, you mentioned all the success that my team and I had when I was at EPA, mm-hmm. the director of the Office of Transportation and Air Quality. Yep. And I can tell you for fact that if California's, if California was not out there, uh, and 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 it, and it was just a federal government uh, acting to reduce NOx emissions, VOC emissions, air toxins, greenhouse gas, we would not have been as successful. Uh, as you probably remember, EPA took the lead on medium and heavy duty trucks, off-road equipment, uh, and a number of fuels. And we work hand by hand with California. And one of the reasons that our standards at the federal level was so ambitious is because California agreed, and California agreed to adapt those federal standards. And California has been the laboratory, not just for the U.S., but the whole world, in setting the most ambitious environmental policies. You're asking a very good question because now they're basically saying, by 2035, all cars in California have to be zero emissions. It can be yeah. electric, it can be fuel cells, but it has to be, you know, the tailpipe has to be zero emissions. And by 2040, the same for medium and heavy duty trucks. What the state also is doing is putting a lot of money along with the regulations, you know. Um, there were, I think, about $3 billion 
the gov Governor Newsom added another six, seven billion dollars this year. They have help infrastructure. I mean, it's the only state that is supporting fuel cell infrastructure and, and, and fuel cell cars. So I have a lot of confidence that the state will be able to uh, achieve those reductions. I also have a lot of confidence for other states. I mean, we have seen New York to put a lot yeah. of money. Am I right? Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. this program. Yep. But now with the federal government, with IRA support at the local level and state level, and with the federal government efforts, I think the states are going to be very successful with California leading. I think the question I would ask would be a little bit more different, Tammy, and I would dare to say mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. at, what point, at what point there is uh, a, an agreement by all parties, it used to be states, federal government, and industry yeah. mm -hmm. for a 50-state program. At, at what point well, that may happen? What do okay. you think that point could be? <laughs> so, so, I mean, uh, for example, I mean, um, I'll give you an example where I, I see it potentially happening, although we're not there. Um, you know, as you know, for the first time, California moved ahead of the federal government in reducing diesel NOx emissions from trucks. Uh, EPA is following. Mm -hmm. um, there is a lot of... Um, Apprehension among stakeholders, what EPA is going to do for the NAC standards? Is EPA going to adapt something 100% across California or 80% of what California is requiring for 2027? So if EPA you know, finalizes the NOx standard, that is, let's say, not 100%, but it's close, making it up, I don't know. Uh, and the states, uh, California and the other five states that have adapted the California clean truck rule. Look at the federal government's efforts and say, you know what, for 2027, uh, the federal program is ambitious enough and strong enough that if all states, you know, because it's going to apply to the whole country, right. we're going to get equal or even more benefits. So that potentially could be one area that we could see the mm -hmm. harmonization. But I think it would take time it would take effort from all sides, uh, and California must lead. You know, mm -hmm. they cannot stop. The California has always set those mm -hmm. high thresholds, ambition, but also the government has all also supported with with funding. Yeah, the same thing that IRA is doing. You know, at the, you know for the country as a whole, California has done it for their environmental policies. You know, I see that happening, the potentiality for that happening um, a lot more positively um, than I would a federal ZEP um, mandate. I just don't think our government is in that, in the business of, of doing that. They'll, they'll do the incentives, they'll create those kinds of programs, but not anything like that. And so if there's going to be something 50 states, it will just be yeah, whatever that tipping point where the realization is, oh, this just makes sense. Let's do this. Yeah, yeah. And I see it before the end of the decade is would be my prognostication. I mean, listen, um, I feel very nervous when I hear, um, you know, um, environmental advocates say EPA must adapt as a mandate. EPA doesn't have to do that. If you understand the Clean Air Act, 
uh, and the provisions for mobile sources, mm-hmm. EPA doesn't. EPA, you know, EPA's authority is technology neutral, but you set the standards based on the technology, the various technologies, the cost of those technologies, and the cost-benefit analysis. So EPA in 2030 can set the standards, a standard for greenhouse gases, and different technologies will compete. Am I right? The plug-in hybrid mm-hmm. will compete. The mm-hmm. renewable fuel will compete. Electric cars will compete. Uh, but if the cost of an electric vehicle uh, is is much more uh, advantageous because industry is in investing, you know, you're going to end up with 50% of zero emission vehicles. But EPA doesn't have to put a mandate to do that. They just have to set the standards based on what the Clean Air Act requires them, which, which is a technology forcing statute. But mm-hmm. it's a technology neutral statute. You cannot dictate under the Clean Air Act what it has to be, right. what the technology right. has to be. So we've been talking a lot about electrification, but I also wanted to ask you, um, both in the U.S. and California, what role do you see, if, if any, as we as we go forward into this decade for low carbon fuels, but especially hydrogen? Yeah. Uh, so that's a great question. And actually, I, I did an opinion piece on this um, a couple of weeks ago. So I strongly believe that green hydrogen uh, has a role to play uh, in decarbonizing the economy across the board. Uh, but when it comes to transportation, uh, I think the race for cars and SUVs has been lost. I agree. To electric electrification. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean that companies should not pursue you know, in different parts of the, the planet um, you know, um, decarbonization. Niche markets, things like that. Uh, You know, for heavy, heavy duty trucks, the time will will show where companies are going to go. You know, there are companies, you know, the initial investments for Volvo, Daimler, Navistar in US, but Trayton in Europe, Trayton for your listeners, Mm -hmm. Scania, Mm -hmm. Man. And now Navistar, an umbrella company under um, Volkswagen Group, uh, they have been, you know, significantly investing in electrification. Uh, so I think the, the economy of scale is going to be, in my mind, will, will tell us where this, where the heavy duty truck will go. Um, for medium duty, I don't see uh, fuel cells. Even for two, three hundred miles, I don't see it. Uh, but um, you know, you know, as you know, hydrogen is very light. Batteries are very heavy. So for you know, four hundred miles and, and and beyond, maybe there is a role to be played. But what I need to stress uh, to um, your listeners is that I'm really worrying mm-hmm. about um, the investments for natural gas that will be used for what is called blue hydrogen that can be worse than fossil fuels. Uh, And if those investments take place, I'm really concerned that it will be so difficult to undo them and we will extend the life Mm -hmm. of natural gas in the form of fuel cell 
let's say for drugs. So that's my my main concern. But for issues, you know, for, for like operations like aircrafts, uh, and even you know, uh, uh, marine uh, shipping, shipping. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there is a tremendous, tremendous opportunity uh, for other operations, you know, other, uh, you know, industry sectors like cement, steel. I think um, hydrogen could play a very significant role. Uh, but um, I think for cars and SUVs, and even for urban delivery vehicles, I think that race has been lost to electrification. Yeah. So last question. And this is the fun question, not that the other ones weren't fun. <laughs> um, so what you, you've, again, you've worked a lot in the electrification space over these last um, uh, 10 years and even, even before. So what excites you most about the electrification space, um, especially, yeah, given your background as a regulator in mobile sources or of mobile sources? So tell me, uh, you know, as as a former regulator, but but real and environmentalist at heart, that worries uh, about the environment and the planet and public health. Uh, for somebody that um, worked at EPA, and some mornings I would say to myself, "Oh my God, somebody's paying me to do this job." Even after <laughs> uh, Republican administration, President Bush, um, George W. Bush, you know, which we had difficulties, you know, addressing climate change. I would just. I just felt, felt so honored to be able to do that. And, mm-hmm. and I st- strongly believe in public service. Uh, I, I worry about the planet, am I right? I worry, I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old uh, uh, grandchild, grandchildren, and, and, and I'm worrying about them. And I'm worrying about young people in the next generation. People are asking me, where should we live, Margo? Should we leave California and go somewhere else where climate change is not going to impact our young families? So seeing the investments by governments and seeing uh, the investments of the industry, I mean, to me, towards electrification or zero emission technologies uh, excites me, excites me that there is a hope not to to reduce completely the impacts of climate change across the planet, but there is a hope that can minimize uh, the most severe impacts that the planet is already facing from climate change. And transportation is anywhere from 20 to 30% of greenhouse gas emissions, the fastest growing economy uh, yeah. when it comes to greenhouse gas. So the opportunity uh, to, to see government and private sector and, and the civil society groups working together to address um, the transportation sector and and the energy sector as a whole. Gives me hope. Uh, And there are some days that I wake up, I have zero hope, depending what the Supreme Court did (laughs) 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 or what I heard, you know. But but these days uh, I feel much more optimistic. So that's what excites me. And uh, and and electric cars, let me tell you, for full disclosure, I drive a Tesla, I drove a a Volt, as I told you, I'm driving a Mm -hmm. Tesla, which is a fantastic, car, high acceleration, you know, I mean, you know, just, you know, drives like better, the torque is better than diesel. And I drove the ITP4 and these are extraordinary cars. So it, when they become more affordable uh, and, for, and for some 
you know, today the average cost of an electric car is $60,000, but the average cost of, of, of an internal combustion engine is close to $50,000. That's and you right. Can find electric mm-hmm. cars at 30000 and 40000 mm-hmm. So I'm excited for, the, you know, to see more people uh, getting the the, uh, the privilege uh, and, and to have the fun driving electric cars. So all that excites me. So today you caught me in a very optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad. <laughs> After the signing of the IRA law. Well, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. I want to thank you so much for, for coming on and sharing your insights. It was amazing. Thank you, Tammy. Wonderful seeing you again. And the best of luck to your podcast. Thank you. You've been listening to Fueling the Future of Transport. This show is hosted and edited by Tammy Klein, produced by Carolyn Schneer, and engineered by Alexander Nikolic. To hear more great episodes of this show, learn more, and sign up for a free bi-weekly newsletter, visit transportenergystrategies.com.